0: feeding the hungry. In my previous congregation, we had a very robust way of dealing with folks in need. So the church sat directly on the main drag between the um, basketball arena and the football stadium. And um, on home football days, we had people who would park in our lot and then we even parked them in the yard. And the congregation would bring in about $20,000 a year. And for the most part, none of that stayed at the church. It was all meant to be given away. It was a gift because there's a lot of congregations that would do that, have that and they would use it to sort of bulk up their spending plan and that was not at all... um, What had happened that wasn't my doing that was lots of people's sort of dedication and work and um, That was that was really fantastic so um, That sort of money would go into what they called the Santa Lucia fund Santa Lucia is a figure was a saint in the uh, in the early church who was a martyr, but somehow got co-opted by the Swedes and so when you have Santa Lucia Day um, in on December 13th um, where the oldest daughter in the house puts on the, this crown of candles and serves uh, bread and coffee to her parents in the, in the morning. It's just, that's, it had to do, it connected somehow with the end of a famine. And so she became this sort of figure that um, this 4th century martyr becomes a figure in Scandinavia that, that's connected to abundance and and feeding the hungry. And so that became the name of, uh, of the fund, the Santa Lucia Fund. And it did a lot of things. It, you know, at holidays, we would create meal baskets out of this money and give to the shelters that would knew people who needed the food. Um, and it also gave me, as the pastor, a discretionary fund so that when people came to the doors of the church who needed help or called on the phone we had a way to respond. Invariably, there were always questions raised. Who deserves it? Are they just playing the system? Are they trying to pull the wool over our eyes? And it's a challenge, right? We just read, uh, we had a couple Sundays where we, we dealt with the um, the Sermon on the Mount. And in the Sermon on the Mount, we had um, portions of that where, we didn't read them, but there are portions of that that talk in a sense about if, uh, if you loan someone money, give without expecting to get it repaid. Uh, if someone asks for your cloak, you give them your tunic as well. Um, it's sort of this, sense of uh, an over-response to the brokenness, um, and even if, the sense is even if you're going to get played, so what? Um, at the same time, uh, in, a, in a church, in a congregation, um, there are finite resources. And how do we deal with that? And what does that look like? And what does that mean? So, we began to have some guidelines. We didn't, we did not, as much as it was possible, give money. Um, If people came and needed gas uh, for their cars, I would meet them at the gas station and and buy the gas. If we had folks um, who needed who needed food, I had a group of people I could call, and they would get food, and we would take it to them. If we had people who... Just all sorts of ways for us to, to be as careful. But we did not go the far length that some congregations and some agencies will go um, to say, all right, what is your name? What's your address? What, uh, how much money do you make? What, show us a pay stub. Um, that they begin to create sort of these folders of people. And, and it begins, the process in and of itself becomes a deterrent. Because it becomes a matter of control and, a, and, a, and an imbalance in the power dynamic. Jesus feeds the multitudes for he has compassion on them. He has compassion on them and this is in distinct contrast to something that happened right before this passage, right? When it, the first verse of the reading, when Jesus heard this, or, or now Jesus, now when Jesus heard this, we have the, right, we have the, we have the pronoun there without sort of any antecedent. What, what does this mean? Well, the beginning of, of this 14th chapter of Matthew has the banquet that Herod throws where John is beheaded. There's a, there's a direct contrast to this banquet that Herod throws, which is for all of his, his people, um, where he is showing and exerting essentially his control and his power in the situation, although that gets subverted because then uh, Salome ends up asking uh, for uh, John the head's, John the Baptist's head on a platter, and so there's there's in this. Or in that banquet, there is power and control that is all out of whack. And it ends up with someone dying. Jesus' meal is based not on power and control, but on compassion and an outpouring of, of love and mercy, right? The disciples, in a sense, they they begin down that road, oh, let's not give them something to eat. They can go get it themselves. We don't have anything except this stuff. And Jesus says, you give them something to eat. Again, we see that Jesus opens up a new reality for us beyond just um, the continuation of the old. It's um, we hear again and again, well, it's just the way things are. It's a, it's a hand throwing up, you know, throwing up of our hands um, in sort of what can we do kind of phrase. That's the way things are. So we protect our stuff uh, from others. We'll, we'll dole it out in little bits, right? And we'll, but what we see with Jesus is that exact opposite, an abundance an abundance of, of such that it is miraculous. Th- there are those who would say, well, Jesus, what Jesus did here is a moral miracle. Because other people had stuff tucked away in their tunics and he gets them to sort of, when he starts sharing, everybody else sort of joins in and shares. Hmm. I don't know. Because the exact pattern that we see in this meal when he feeds the multitude it is the same pattern when he feeds us at the altar. He pours out himself. right Here at the altar we, we remember those words that he takes and he blesses and he breaks and he gives. And it's the same thing here. He ordered the crowds to sit down. He takes the five loaves. right? He blesses Then he breaks the loaves and he gives them. Jesus' feeding is always um, sacramental. It is always an outpouring that is greater than what we begin with. We begin with wine and bread and we end with Jesus' body and blood. A promise. He promises to be there in its midst. And so that it's not just food for our body, but an ability for us to take him into ourselves that we might be forgiven, that we might be transformed. That by receiving his compassion for us, we might receive compassion, or we might be able to give compassion for others. Have compassion. Have compassion. For others. Jesus' life is a continual giving of Himself for us. That opens up a new life. Our old life is put to death. We renounce that those struggles of, of power and domination over others and we begin to open ourselves for having compassion, which is risky, right? There are people who might take advantage of us. There are people who might simply just begin to leech off of us. It doesn't mean we stop doing those things. Jesus gives us not just a pattern to emulate, but the very ability to continue in that through his body and his blood. Those of us who are concerned with his body and blood should be concerned uh, with bread and uh, life for others. right? And it's not, it's not just feeding, right? It's, it's all of the acts of mercy, of feeding the hungry, clothing the naked, visiting um, the imprisoned. Uh, all those sorts of things open up to us. Um, for we see what God is at work and how God has called us into that. Thanks be to God. Amen. <laughs>